Welcome aboard this week's podcast of Dudes Dish Disney. Get ready for amazing attractions across America. Beer halls and bar rooms, banquets and beverages, a collection of characters and colleagues. No cupcakes. It's Dudes Dishing Disney. This episode of Dudes Dish Disney is sponsored by Magic Vacations. Magic Vacations. Discover the magic of travel. And now your host, the dudes of Dudes Dish Disney. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. Joining us today is our producer and resident tech dude, Jonathan. What's going on, guys? Also joining us is our co-host, Ryan. He is the number one Disney dude. What's happening, dudes? And I'm Congo Carl, former Jungle Cruise skipper, here to guide you through this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. And this week, we have a very special guest. Please welcome a former cast member and a Walt Disney executive, Joe Etter. Hi, Joe. Hey, Carl. Hey, dudes. How's it going? What's up, Joe? What's going on, Joe? Not much, thankfully. (laughs) Joe, before we get into it, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, 510, blue eyes, like long walks on the beach. Uh, or That's not probably what you're talking about, right? Uh, well, as you guys, as, as Carl knows, I've been a big Disney fan my whole life, even before I got a chance to go to the parks. Uh, but I was actually lucky enough to work for Disney, not once, but twice. First time, I was part of a special program called the World Showcase Fellowship Program, and I was on the opening team that opened the Canadian Pavilion at Epcot in 1982. Second time, I was the vice president of the Walt Disney Music Group, and I was responsible for all aspects of the uh, production, distribution, sales, marketing of every facet of the music business in Canada. Thanks. And, you know, Joe and I met uh, on that infamous ah. opening of the um, of Epcot. Uh, when he was in uh, in his rare form of uh, representing Canada so well um, <laughs> the, uh, at the Circle Vision 360 show. I'm sure he still remembers the spiel of O Canada. But um, we wanted to start kind of there, too, because that's where we met as and yeah. that showcase program, World Showcase Fellowship Program, wonderful program. Um, it doesn't exist, but it's morphed into the international programs as they exist. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that program, how you uh, sort of interviewed for that program, how were you selected for that program, and what it was like in the early days of Epcot? In university, I was a member of a group called ISIC, which was the a French acronym for uh, International Association for Students of Economics and Commerce. And it was based in 57 countries around the world. At the time, when Disney was looking to staff Epcot, in particular, future, future, uh, not future world, world showcase. They were looking for students that could work in the pavilions as part of one of Walt's original dreams. He felt that if young people around the world could live in an international village and get to know each other better, that the world would be a better place. And that's sort of paraphrasing. However, so when Disney was looking to staff those pavilions for one year at a time, they went to Isaac. And Isaac was known for having traineeships that you could work for one, up to one year around the world in different companies. So that's where I interviewed. I interviewed through Isaac. I was chosen as one of 10 Canadians to represent the country um, for the first year, which was 1982, from 1982 to 1983. And there was nine countries at, in uh, World Showcase at that time, and eight countries had students represented. So we lived together. We played together. And we also attended Disney University. So one day a week, we attended Disney University. Four days a week, we actually worked in the pavilion in the various um, aspects of the of the pavilion. So in ops, the restaurant, and merchandise. And you work six hours a day. We also were the, the uh, chosen people to do all the PR for Epcot at, when it opened. So anything to do with Canada when Epcot was open, one of us, 10, was chosen. So um, I was lucky enough to meet George Bush. Vice President of the United States at the time. My friend Glenn was uh, introduced. Uh, he met Ronald Reagan, uh, did a TV show with Danny Kay. It was quite a quite a fun time. And I have 74 really good friends around the world because of it. So 
We do. And um and Carl great. just happened to be another one. <laughs> yes. Um, I was not part of the program, I was part of the American program. Um, but I was the cultural liaison unofficially between the Americans and all the international students. I was gonna say there's no chance anybody made you an official cultural liaison. There's no chance. God, that could have been an international disaster if that was uh... yeah, lockdowns in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small world after all. So um what um what I wanted to share too is you know. I short, shared with everybody over the, the course of a few years now, some of the memories I had of that opening week or month of Epcot, you know, and kind of how historic it was. Mm -hmm. um, share with everyone what it was like, you know, not only the excitement, because I remember the, the yeah. Danny Kay um, show, but the remember the Danny Kay fiasco the night before Epcot opened, the, the party? Um, I, I, was a, I, got, I was a busboy that night because there was oh. a labor pool, right? Okay. And, were you guys there as guests or were you were there? I mean, that was the night uh, before. Yeah, we had to attend all those kinds of, we, we were very fortunate, I must admit. Um, but leading up to Epcot, uh, we arrived September 1st, Epcot opened October right. 1st. And I can honestly tell you that when we first went to Epcot, it, it needed a sign that said some assembly required because you went around and you said, there's no way in God's green earth this is opening in 30 days. It just, it, it, there's no way. Um, it was a construction site there, there it was just a it did not look there was any way they could pull it off so we went through some training in the different areas that we were going to be in and we also did pr and then before it actually opened there was a soft opening and uh we got to work that and it was labor day weekend right labor day weekend there was a soft yeah. opening for the workers that's exactly I, right and for one of my roommates one one of my roommates was in construction and i got tickets to go there and I remember seeing you that day going, this is crazy. <laughs> well, it was crazy because they, it was all the people who had worked on the building of Epcot. And after so many years, they knew it better than anybody. So um, as you know, Disney is fantastic at moving people the way they want them to move. Well, none of these people wanted to move the way Disney wanted them to move. They do all the shortcuts. They knew the back way into people. It was, it was crazy. So, um, which meant that we knew that it couldn't get any worse. But um, yeah, no, it was it was very interesting because at the time when Epcot opened as well, there really wasn't a lot of places to get things to eat, which is reminiscent of when uh, Disneyland opened. There wasn't enough water fountains, et cetera, but there was really not a lot of places to eat at that time. So it was a, it was a learning experience. We got to be part of um, all the sort of uh, special events, which was nice. And I was part of the opening for uh, the dedication of the Canadian Pavilion. And Carl, you may remember this, but when days before epcot was opening the, there have you guys have been to the canadian pavilion and you you know the entrance into the theaters through the mine well it's now called the maple leaf mine it was called the moosehead mine right up until two days before opening when all the labats representatives showed up for the dedication and saw that the mine was named after the number one competitor which was moosehead beer and the number two import beer in the state so they had to rip that sign down two days before and come up with a new name for the mine. So it was evolving. It was very fun. It was exciting. Um, but, and we, because we're a lot of students from around the world, we were doing a fair bit of socializing, shall we say. So some of it's a blur. Yes. It's, yes. We all, we all actually lived together in the same, the Americans and the international students for the first yeah. portion of your, actually mm -hmm. for the time I was there through the winter. Um, we all shared my trailers in Snow White Village. That's um, correct. But you guys had singles. We had to share doubles. So you guys are already getting the VIP treatment. Um, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing for me to think that when Epcot opened, there was too little food, right? That's just blowing to me because now it's the mecca of Disney for food, you know? So it's it's quite it's the opposite. True. And, and and you know, Ryan, there's like a whole bunch of things that when you're there, um, it, it, I mean, to me, it seemed like we'd have tons of food, but when you put that many people and you can't control that they stay in future world or they're in food, you know, world showcase, especially when we had the construction workers, because again, they knew where they wanted to go and what they worked on. So they, they went against everything, but um, it wasn't that they didn't have enough food in the areas that had food available. It's just that they didn't have enough actual restaurants, et cetera, open. 
So Canada had the buffeteria at that time. I think it, you, you probably only know it as a sit-down restaurant. Um, so Canada was extraordinarily busy. You didn't need a re reservation. You just had to line up and come through the line. And and uh, so it was very, very busy. But yeah, it was it was just one of the few things that they just didn't have enough staff as well. Um, because as Carl alluded to, um, because the program I was on was uh, a special program that actually was something Walt envisioned at the uh, many years before, and it was the first time, but they needed people in the pavilions from the actual countries to work. That was another part that was very key, what they felt was accessible showcase. So they, they started the culture rep program. So it was a very interesting time because here I was on a program. I worked six hours a day, four days a week. I got a spending stipend. I was paid $160 no matter what I worked or if I didn't work. Um, I went to Disney University, but then they recruited people from the other countries to actually work as cast members. Um, I was I had my lodging paid. I, as Carl said, we we had everything sort of paid for and taken care of. And these cultural students would come in and they had to work whatever hours they were paid the regular cast member rate. They had to find places to live. So it kind of set up a very antagonistic uh, between some of the cast members when they felt like, well, I'm a cultural rep, too. But and and we'd get to do all these special things. But, you know, eventually we all came together and it was fine. But there was a lot of that that they hadn't thought through when they first got there. And they had to bring in staff from the Magic Kingdom because they didn't have any of these at first. And Carl said he worked as a busboy. There was a lot of people that were working in World Showcase that had name tags that said like Pierre on it. The front name was like Scott, right? Like, <laughs> you know, just to try and make it look right. Um, and it was interesting, too, because... It, the other students from around the world get to their pavilions. And uh, if you know anything about Europeans, they um, can be a little bit opinionated. Like the Italian pavilion is actually the reverse of the way it is in real life, right? The Eiffel Tower, they thought it's like a model of life. Like they felt that they didn't do it justice. Uh, Germany, it was a, it's not just Bavaria guys, like, you know, but Disney chose a certain theme and, and they did a lot of research into it. And eventually people kind of got it. But when they were coming in, it was a very big shock to them that they didn't want Americans to think just Germany was a barbarian, right? Yeah, yeah. which was fine with us because yeah, we had some good garden. times there. <laughs> still has good times there. Carl still, still where every time we go down there, he's like, hey, uh, you know, what about going to Germany for a while? And it's like, yes, Carl, we know. We know that <laughs> Yeah, make sure you keep the credit card uh, tight there, Carl. Has, has he gotten that. up on stage with you guys when, when he's there? Because he uh, likes doing that. So the only time we were all there together, uh, it was almost barely opened because it had been COVID. Uh, oh, right, right. Us starting to reopen. So the only time we had ever actually been in uh, the hall together was literally they just opened it up and they weren't even doing the buffet style. They were doing the family style at the table. Um, um so it was very, but Carl didn't need to get up on stage. He did, he did plenty from the table. <laughs> so. uh, he 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 definitely drew the attention of uh, our group, and then uh, I'd say the full restaurant uh, knew we were there, and then some. Even some of the uh, performers kept looking yeah. over during the performances many a times while he I was, was going. Say, I, thought, it, so. I thought the Oompa Band was going to get up and perform with Carl rather than vice versa. <laughs> that's that's Eddie. I mean, everywhere he goes. <laughs> All right. So, um, guys, anything else you want to ask Joe about uh, that that Walt Disney World portion of his career and Epcot and and that? I mean, he's got a million stories. So, yeah, I think we're bearing the lead. Were you part of the inaugural Drinking Around the World team? I, you know, I have I have drunk around drank around the world with Carl more times than I care to remember. Um, and and quite frankly, I don't remember all of them. We actually were trying to figure that out. I don't think I was, uh, um, but again, I can't be hundred percent sure, but I don't think I was like, we spent a lot of time drinking in Epcot when we got there because we could go whenever we wanted. Um, and that was kind of what we did back then. I was a very young person. So I don't think I was there that first time. I know I probably was there the second time though. Yeah. You're probably working the, that opening weekend. Very possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. because I had a blast, you know, going around with my guest, introducing him to a friend in every country, right? Mm. Uh, because these guys had been there for a month. Um, but no, I don't think so. But we had another, and not just uh, that tenure together at subsequent reunions, 
uh, we drank around oh, yeah. the world too. Uh, yeah, so like we've like I'm, I barely touched on it, but one of the really cool things about that program is you got to, you know, here I'm coming from Canada. You know, I really don't know what's going to happen, but I'm suddenly thrust into. I've got 74 people that are my age, a lot of which don't speak much English and we're kind of living together. So my original, so we lived at Snow White Village, as Carl said, until our uh, the village that we were going to was finished. And uh, I had three roommates at that time, one from Japan, one from Germany and one from France. And, it, you know, it was quite interesting, especially, you know, Yasuyuki from Japan didn't really speak much uh, English. But funny enough, the common thing was drinking. <laughs> so we all, we all, uh, you know, I still remember probably the second or third night I was there, Gerardo from Mexico and I found ourselves up late. I don't know why. He had a guitar. I'm drinking something. He's got like a full water glass of tequila. Gerardo didn't speak a word of English. And yet the two of us somehow talked until like four in the morning. <laughs> so the common language. But We've had, as Carl said, we've had reunions. We've had eight reunions around the world. We've kept in touch. I'm godfather to a friend of mine's son in Mexico. We've been in reunions. At, well, Euro Disney was our tenure. It's not called that now, I know. But we've been in Italy. We've been in Germany, UK, uh, Whistler, Canada. So we, we are a very tight group. Uh, we still get together for many reunions. And probably for the last, I don't know, four or five reunions because of all the kids that were being born and coming with us. They're now in their twenties at York. As an example, there was, I don't know, 25 kids, second generations that challenged us old folks to a tequila drinking contest. And I'm happy to say as the anchor, we won. <laughs> Just say it never goes well when somebody else challenges the old folks. It never no, works. No, they thought, they thought they're pretty smart, but you know, they, they didn't have the stamina as the problem was. Yep. Uh, practice makes perfect. So, uh, curious, Gerardo, is is he still there? Uh, Carl, you and you had introduced me to some uh, some of the guys. Oh, the mariachis? Yeah, yeah. I, so the mariachis weren't part of the program, but amazingly enough, many oh, wow. of them were there. Uh, few of them there. At the 40th reunion, there were still two original members. Mm. Um it was before the 40th, I think, I introduced you, and there was like still four or five original members. So eventually they're kind of finally retiring. But um, yeah, so no, no, Jerry Gerardo um, actually went uh, on to work in New York. And um, I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time with him post-program visiting him. He's came and visited me a couple of times in Boston and in Western Massachusetts. Jerry was the lead with the guitar and, yeah. um, had, you know, could... Uh, play by la bumba like the best of anyone right and of course we would create other lyrics to different drinking songs and um we would get very clever and we'd sing different songs in different languages mexican and uh, uh french and uh, joe was even mastered um a, a japanese drinking song and to this day you know mm -hmm. has it down pat and at the reunion it's it's a it's a kind of staple that joe will yeah. lead everybody in this uh song it's, about a beautiful flower blooming in in uh, japan so that's that that's what we tell everybody it's uh it's it's rather it's not a very it's a kind of a filthy song um it's this it's seven verses and i still know four of them and when we used to travel at the space shuttle launch as an example and then we also went to the un at the end of the program and we would sing this song and the japanese people students who taught it to us thought it was very funny because we didn't know what we we're singing <laughs> but whenever we see it and there's Japanese people around, they, they would literally freak and come running and say, no, 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 you can't sing that song. <laughs> we say, what do you mean? It's about a beautiful flower going in Japan. <laughs> so I, uh, I somehow managed to learn it. And according to a lot of Japanese people, my pronunciation is very good. And I still remember singing it. Keiko's daughters came to the reunion and they almost peed themselves. They were laughing so hard that this... Canadian guy singing this song at you know uh, the lyrics in perfect are, Japanese insulting the culture well the, the, the people the idea, everything I, I'm saying it phonetically but they apparently I've got very good pronunciation for some reason. after 40 years of singing it I guess I got it right 
You know, what's amazing is that, you know, you started off talking about the, the program and how Walt's vision was, you know, you put a bunch of people from different cultures together in one spot yep. and it kind of creates this harmony. And sure enough, it seems like it was spot on. Now, maybe the alcohol fueled it a little bit, right? But but it seems like it was spot on. It, you know, Ryan, it's really interesting. We were the first program. So it was, you know, there was a lot of um, humps, things that Disney thought they had right, et cetera. And so we, we get a, we did benefit from that in a lot of ways. But I will say um, they used to call us the future world leaders, which I used to laugh at. But we, um, some of the people did do extraordinarily well in their careers. But it was interesting because we all had sort of a common thing. We didn't know what the hell was going on, really. And, and Europeans aren't big drinkers. So it, you know, um, the Canadians, the Americans, uh, the, Mexicans, the Germans, the Germans kept up. Yeah. The Germans can, and the, and the UK for sure. And the like, UK, like Tim and Jeff kept a keg in their bathtub. They never right. used their bathtub. They had a keg in their bathtub the entire year. Like, like Ryan, you know, wasn't, sorry, Ryan, wasn't that your college? That was my college. Yeah. That was yeah. my college. So, but but it, it's funny because you know I uh, we we got to know each other really well and we went through all that stuff and we we were kind of a little bubble when we lived in Lake Vista Village when we first moved in there it was just us and every day was a kind of a party and um, but it was a unique experience in that in Canada and the UK or in the United or United States uh, like it's a beer bash or whatever but we would be at a place and all of a sudden an Italian guy break out a guitar and a Mexican guy break out a guitar and they're singing in different languages and we're all drinking and singing and then dancing would break up like it was a different party than I'd been used to and I think because of it we all kind of learned to accept everybody and it was there, there was a couple of unique times like everybody was supposed to speak English I still remember one particular time I was at a party and there was a whole bunch of different people around, but mostly Germans and myself and uh, a French guy. And the Germans had a habit of always speaking German. And I still remember Vincent at one point just responded in perfect German to what they were talking about and basically told them not to talk about people and to speak in English because other people. And the room got dead silent because here were seven Germans that had no idea that someone else spoke German. But in Europe, a lot of these people, as I discovered, spoke four or five languages. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know about Congo Carl, your uh, MC and, uh, you know, uh, elder statesman. Uh, he Very speaks cool. French. Yeah. Did you guys know he spoke French? Yes. Uh, oui. Oui. Yes. Uh, some of the females learned that the hard way. But uh, <laughs> he, um, you know, so you, you never knew what you were kind of getting at that time. So because of the reunions, uh, we... I went to the World Cup in Mexico in 86. Like I've traveled, like it's it's something that prompted me to want to see lots of places that in my life I didn't think I really wanted to see. And uh, we now have these second generation. We'll get a call and say, my son is traveling with his girlfriend. Can you guys put him up? And all of a sudden they're traveling all over the world, coach surfing or whatever. And, and then wherever they go, we tend to party with them. They're 25 years old and they're the, you know, kind of what we were when, at, you know when we met their folks kind of so we we take them in we take them in and yeah. make them part of the family you know it's true we don't we don't expose them to our bad habits sure. yes we do <laughs> sure <laughs> i don't i don't know what you do carl. i don't know what you do carl but i don't change what i do man like i just <laughs> they come they get the good with the bad there's, there's one honest person here and it's not carl <laughs> yeah if 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 i know how carl really is i've i've frequented carl enough uh Carl and I are fairly uh fairly close to each other i've uh played a couple of rounds of golf with him uh down the street from his home i've uh, stopped by a few times his uh his wife and his daughters uh the way he's his hospitality is amazing but uh the look on his uh, wife's face and his daughter's yeah. says it all of uh, what really he expects when uh, you stop by his home. So, <laughs> Thank God he married Kim because he'd be dead right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. But um, yeah, and that's, um, we've golfed together. And Joe and two other Canadians, we had uh, regular tea times um, on it too. So that, that was certainly uh, one of the great benefits was playing golf on one of those days off. So, and, uh, well, that doesn't mean it doesn't have to be a day off for Carl. So we would be going golfing. Carl would be waiting for the bus to go to work. 
And he'd say, where are you guys going? We'd be going, we're going to like go to Vista golfing. Hang on, I'll get my clubs. He'd, go, he'd call in sick. Next thing we'd be golfing. So uh, I've been Carl's partner now for 40 years. We've been partners. Well, for- we're partners for 40 years. And the only day that I remember we definitively won our match was yeah. on my wedding day. We played golf that day. My gift to you. Yes. I spoke we- a 20 foot downhill breaking putt to win 70 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Joe and Glenn for, yeah. uh, sorry, Glenn and Sean, who we beat. Um, and that was a, a rare time they had to reach in their wallet. But anyways. Um, yes. But uh, Joe has pe- played that course that you've played so many times with me, uh, Jonathan. So he knows. Um, in any case, let's move on. Let's move on to the second part. So Joe goes back to Canada after this wonderful experience, um, gets some experience elsewhere. And then you had an opportunity to interview back at the Walt Disney Company. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I went into sales and then, um, as luck would have it, Disney was looking for somebody to, at that time, to be the national sales manager. And um, my experience in sales was in the meat business. You know, if you don't sell it, you smell it. <laughs> then all of a sudden, I'm asked by the Walt Disney Company because of my past experience, can you take that experience and apply it into the music and toy business. And I'm like, yeah, why not? So I get hired by the Walt Disney company and I worked for Walt Disney records at that time. And, um, I worked for the company for 17 years. I was very fortunate in that we had a lot of successes. I actually started the software division, Jonathan in in Canada ran it. And again, knew nothing about software or any gaming. I'm not a gamer, but it was a, it was an interesting experience. Um, and, uh, I sold family music, kids music, um, pop, rock, punk, um, Disney music, whether or not, I don't know if you know the Disney company, but you know, queen, they own the queen catalog as an example. Um, you know, I remember being at a punk rock show on crutches after knee surgery, uh, because we, we, uh, uh, represented flash, um, flashlight Brown, which was a punk band. So a lot of people only think of Disney as kids music or soundtracks, but uh, they have a huge repertoire of different artists. So it was a really fun time for me. And um, I found that if you can sell something, you can sell anything. But in the music industry, especially back then, it was a bit of a Wild West show. It's different now with the streaming, but it was a lot of fun. You had some great experiences um, with that. And I'm mm-hmm. sure these guys want to ask you a little bit about that. Yeah. Sure. Do you have any favorite artists that you work with? Was there any specific artists that, that you look back on more fondly than others? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, two in particular spring to mind. I don't, you probably don't know but a gentleman by the name of Long John Baldry. Uh, Long John Baldry, he's six foot seven. He was a blues artist and out of the UK and when he was in the UK, he was the number one blues artist for many years. He discovered Mick Jagger, Rod Stewart, and Elton John. He actually gave Elton John his name. And over the course of his career, at that time, uh, the way the record labels did things, a lot of artists didn't get the royalties. John didn't get a lot of royalties, so he turned to character voices. So I I hired John to do a project which ultimately led to a, led to a, a Grammy nomination. So I worked with John a lot. And I got to hear a lot of his stories and very, very funny. Very, uh, yeah. Like when I flew to New York with him, he's six foot seven. He's afraid of flying. He's like almost broke my fingers. He was a fun guy to go to dinner with. The other artist was Hilary Duff. Hilary Duff, when she was with, uh, she was in a show called Lizzie McGuire with on the Disney Channel. And she decided she wanted to sing. Now, that's great, but she really, at that time, couldn't sing, but she could act. So she could sing a little bit. But anyway, because she had such a huge following, we, in Canada in particular, we embraced this challenge. We were the number one country um, for Hillary Duff. I debuted her first three records at number one in Canada, and her fourth record, number two, only because the French in Quebec, they released a record in Quebec, they love their music so she debuted at number two and was number one the next week but i worked with hillary a lot she was a sweet little girl at the time 
Uh, my daughter was born and she gave a stuffed animal, which my daughter called Fred and had forever. And I worked with Hillary throughout the years. And um, she, every time she saw you, she'd come up and give you a big hug. And she did learn to sing. So when she went to, when she, she, she kind of started out singing probably 60% with a bit of a backing track. And by the end of it, she was singing full on and she could sing and she could, she could put on a great show. I've been to a number of her shows, but she was a lot of fun to be around and super sweet. Like, I don't know what she's like today, but she was just super sweet. I have to imagine Lizzie McGuire and all that was probably your kind of closer to your age range, John, you know, just in terms of like your uh, mm. early years and stuff, right? That's probably, she's probably right around your, your age. Yeah, I, I remember growing up. I mean, she was very, if I remember, very close to my age. I was born in the late 80s. Um, mm -hmm. Not my type of music, to be honest with you. I've always been a uh, kind of a um, a new rock metal guy, to be honest with you, which is very strange to hear. Um, these guys know that's my type of music, but that's the type of my type of music. Are you you like uh, Breaking Benjamin? I do. I am a huge Breaking Ben fan. Huge. I, Breaking so ben Breaking fan. Benjamin was on with Hollywood Records when I and I. Ben, Ben is a bit of a piss tank, but it, it like, yeah, you gotta you really gotta know they're like, yeah. Anyway, you know, <laughs> yeah, them, you know what I'm talking about. They, Wait, no more stories about him, okay? Yeah. They, <laughs> funny you say Breaking Ben. That was one of my first uh, true experiences, uh, kind of side story. True experiences to a uh, a good mosh pit. Um, oh, okay. Uh, which was. Which was crazy. Uh, my freshman year of college, um, I got dragged to a show with a couple of the friends uh, to actually see a much larger band. Um, I believe it was Disturbed. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, I got stuck in the middle of a mosh pit by one of their really, really heavy songs at the time. And it got me addicted. Um, so oh. they they kind of uh, kind of set the uh, set the path to the path of my music today and uh, really is what I listen to. But Kind of the opposite just, round on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that would be the opposite. And uh, Disturbed does a great job of Sound of Silence, actually. Yeah. That, yes. That, yes. Uh, yes. Really they good. that is an amazing, amazing. If you that can, is a great if you can ever see that live, it's yeah. one of the best performances you could ever imagine. It it really gives all kinds of emotions. It's it's awesome. It's, it's something worth seeing. It's funny to me to think of Jonathan in a mosh pit because if you've ever spent time around Jonathan and you just just watching him walk down the street, it's very his walk is very slow and methodical. And it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of who he is, right? Like it's just part of him. And then the the image of him in a mosh pit to me just doesn't mesh. It it just doesn't. But well, on the same hand, I want to see it, right? So like let's let's make that happen. But yeah, that's funny. Even the music, even the music you're listening to doesn't seem to match up. Especially yeah. with Figment being your fan, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's it it is it is very surprising. Um, it 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 shocks a lot of people. But I mean, I'll listen to pop, I'll listen to hip hop, I'll listen to all that stuff. But my music of choice is definitely that new new rock, heavy metal. That is definitely my style. But it, it's it's weird. But it it again, it's it's just just who I am, I guess. To say in the short short answer, that so. Did you ever know a band called Evans Blue? I did, yes. I didn't yeah. really follow them, but I do know who they are. So yeah, they had a great song, "Cold," so cold, cold. Yeah, that, that's another band similar to Breaking Benjamin that we had as well, which um, was a Canadian band actually that I worked with. We need a heavy metal version of the Imagination song from Figment. We need <laughs> that, 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 would, that would be amazing. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would Carl, be something. Carl talked to me about a country bears version of that song i think yeah there you go <laughs> so we were talking the other day so one of the i remember one of the when you walk around uh joe's home you're surrounded by all this memorabilia from his career um i can't remember what you won the grammy for joe help me out it didn't win just nominated we actually unfortunately we lost to a dead guy which is usually what happens he died just before the voting and um no, it was a it was a unique project that I'm pretty proud of. It was um, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Or you have, do you remember read along book and tape, book and cassette, book and CD things? Yeah. So, um, Winnie the Pooh is a Canadian bear. I don't know if you know that. Mm -hmm. So we decided to create a project called the original story of Winnie the Pooh that told the story of where, how Winnie the Pooh came to be. So uh, uh, whether you know the story or not, but he was based on um, a black bear that Harry Colbert, a soldier, took as a mascot over to England and named it after his hometown, Winnipeg. 
And um, anyway, so we worked with Harry Coleman's family and we did the entire project in the Canadian office. The artist in the office drew the book. They, uh, uh, actually, that's it there. Um, but it tells the story of how Winnie the Pooh came to be. And it's, he's actually, or he is actually a female black bear. And I hired Long John Baldry to do narration. And he does a very bluesy version of the song Winnie the Pooh, which uh, got picked up by several countries as far away as Hong Kong, because um, it's a very cool version. So we're nominated for a Grammy for that. And that's uh, that's another one of the high points of my career because I really enjoyed working with John, but I'm actually even one of the character voices in it. So I is, didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, well, I did. Well, it was one of those things, like I hired Chris Metopoulos to uh, and John and Baldy. And we got to a point where we needed another voice and I happened to be in the studio and it was, kind of left me so but anyway so yeah so we didn't win but it was a cool experience going to the grammys uh, which i've done before but to be nominated and be up close and um and then the parties afterwards in new york were pretty good excellent excellent um but you had a chance to uh some of the accomplishments were were amazing i know that um i know that you had quite a run with the the lion king soundtrack Yep. and um got to spend some got to got to meet sir elton i did i uh yeah lion king soundtrack was pretty special for everybody it was uh the movie as you know did very well but one of the cool things that i really enjoyed about being in the music group was and again i'm a music guy i like music a lot so every movie that disney ever releases the first thing you're exposed to is the music it's always part of the marketing if there's a single release to radio. So being up front and helping make not only the movie successful, but the soundtrack, et cetera. So when Lion King came out and Elton John was involved in the project, we were very excited, obviously. And um, so we worked extra hard to make sure that it was successful. And in Canada, we achieved what is known as a diamond record, which is 10 times platinum. And um, it was only the 52nd album in Canada to ever achieve that status at that time and only one other record did it faster and it was a Celine Dion record so we were pretty proud of that and I as Carl mentioned I was lucky enough to meet Sir Elton and present him with a multi-platinum award um and uh it was cool actually he was a really nice he's short but he's a really nice guy and when I met him he was wearing a pink leather suit and pink ostrich skin boots so he's everything <laughs> you read about and more but yeah, no, he's a really cool guy. And actually, he had just won an Academy Award for it when I presented to him. He had on a, the earring of the Oscar in his ear, which was cool. So, yeah, but I, that was one of the things that was really cool about the music is you got to be a part of the experience before the film was released, before anything went to DVD, before anybody knew anything about what the movie even was going to be about back at that in those days. So you were under, in your reign, you, you went through a few... And we're exposed to a few different executives. I know Eisner was primarily in charge for most of your employment years, right? Uh, he was. A, a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael was there for yeah, a good portion of it, I'd say. And then right? then Iger, Iger was there, but yes. Yeah, and you got to work with him, and you got to meet him a couple of times. And it's one of those things that uh, you know everyone wants to know that big CEO, what's he's really like? And do you have a Michael Eisner story you can share with us? Um. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, like, so Michael, when he came on board, it was Frank, it was a really good pairing, and then when he kind of, when Frank passed, and he took over the reins on his own, uh, a lot of people weren't fans, I would say, like, just because he made some decisions, but I will say, uh, for the Beauty and the Beast Broadway de uh, grand opening debut in Toronto, which I was part of, and I worked with the cast, Michael came up for that, and um, I'm not a person that wants to meet celebrities i'm kind of like they don't want to meet me so why should i meet them kind of thing they got other things to do but at this particular at the uh post at the party afterwards there was a licensee from our consumer products group and his daughter were there and they really wanted to meet michael and they asked me can you introduce us and i said well you know i'll see what i can do kind of thing and i went up to michael and he was talking to some people i waited and i said excuse me michael i'd like to introduce you da 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 and they started talking to him, he talked to them, and he gave them his full attention. 
And he was expected elsewhere to do some press. And his handlers or the wranglers or whatever you want to call them said, were saying to him, Michael, you got to go, you got to schedule him. And he just said, in a minute. And he spent a good 15, 20 minutes talking to these two people, absolutely made their day. They were floating. They were, and I thought to myself, you know what, this is the CEO of like arguably the, the largest entertainment com uh, company in the world. And he didn't know these people from Adam. They're from Winnipeg. And he spent that time. And I, I said, you know what? I give him full marks. I understand exactly how he got to where he is. And I thought that was a pretty special moment for me, even though I wasn't talking to him. But I felt the guy was actually probably not a bad guy. He's just in a tough spot. Yeah. And he certainly did a lot for the company in all aspects of it. He did a lot of great things. He's very creative. Uh, it's just that. I think there's a best before date on every CEO, right? Right. Absolutely. And then, um, and I know you've, uh, he, he, you had some exposure to some other characters in the company too. You know, I know that you had some, um, I, I know you. Not talking you, right? No, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Just checking. Just checking. Cause you were very clear that I wasn't allowed to tell you. Like there's a whole handful of things I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> He's talking about Mickey and Goofy. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Those people I'm okay with, yes. Yeah, we all we all had that uh, exposure. So, no, um, so you, you had, um, you know, nobody, nobody has been a fan of Chapek. And you were involved with him uh, on several aspects. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't call them run-ins, but you had some dealings with your people who worked with him and worked for you and, so uh, tell us a little bit about what JPEG really was like. He was in the right place a lot of times and did very well for himself. Um, I didn't ever work for him. I worked with a lot of people who did. I would just say that he had a unique way of managing things. Let's go with that. Fair enough. <laughs> That's well, how, why why did you skip over Iger? At least <laughs> let's go back to Iger, shall well, we? Because yeah, we can, can we talk about Iger. Go ahead. Let us let us know about Iger. <laughs> yeah, no, when Bob Iger came on board, you know, after Eisner, you know, as a company, we were concerned because he had this reputation of being the nicest guy in Hollywood. And they were gonna eat him alive. He, he shouldn't have gotten the job. Super nice guy would talk to anybody. And, and But that was the whole thing with, with him. He was a relationship guy. And when, when he came on board, there was a lot of problems. Pixar was leaving the company. Um, there was so many different things that were in a state of disrepair. And he, he mended all of those things and made them better. Um, all I can say about Bob Iger is that I think that he was as close to probably maybe not maybe what a Walt Disney was because I wouldn't suggest creatively he was there but he was as probably as close as what an old Roy Disney might have been like you know he he understood what needed to be done and did it and and he had he understood the the key to relationships and I would suggest that pretty much anybody I knew who reported directly to him didn't have a bad thing to say about him. Yeah. and I, I'm glad he's back I think he I think he can pull this rabbit out of the hat it's going to take some doing i think but yeah i i think there's a lot of disney fans who agree with you that they're glad that he's back yeah. for sure yeah and and you know he's 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 a lot of business people uh disney fans he's a lot he's just that type of pe person that people look up to you know they they listen to, what he has to say um so uh i agree i'm, I'm glad he's back i it, it it was a rough couple of years for disney and i don't think I think he came out of retirement and I don't know him for anything. Right. But right. what I could gather, I think he came out of company, came back because he had a passion for the company. He did have a passion for the relationships that he built yeah. uh, and he wants to see it back to where it was before he left. I mean, well, you guys know better than most. Like, I mean, you, you wouldn't have the star Wars, Mar Marvel, Pixar, like, and, and one of the things that, you know, Disney's going through right now is, a lot of people don't understand that in the, I'm going to say in the old days, because I'm old, but like Lion King would take four or five years to make an animated film. They don't take as long now, in particular, maybe with the um, computer uh, assisted animation that a lot of them use. But what I will say is that it's hard to change midstream. So a lot of the things that are hitting the books now 
you can't fix. You can try, but you can't fix them. So some of the underperforming things now were slated three, four years ago to be what they are. So what you're going to see, I believe, that Eisner's come back in for, you're going to see three years from now. And that will be interesting to me. So the next phase of Marvel is really what we should be looking for, is what you're saying. Well, not just the next phase of Marvel. I think the next phase of Disney Plus, yeah. um, that's going to change. You know, uh, he was there when Disney Plus was launched. and That it, was it, his baby, you know. It really was. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you're going to see a change in Pixar. Pixar never had a flop. Um, you know, whatever reason, you know, that uh, there was some creative people had to leave. But I will suggest that the story has always been so important to the Walt Disney Company and everything they do, everything from the parks to the, to the films, um, everything moves the story forward. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Walt Disney, which is probably not one that you've heard, is he talks about the soundtracks. And he said that you can you could run any of these films on their own and they'd be dragging and boring. But the minute you put music behind them, they get a life and vitality. They get no other way. And he was very key about the music had to move the for story forward in a film. And you have to have all those elements working together, in my opinion. And I think that if one or two of those elements isn't on, on par or on spec or on target, then it affects the entire project, whatever that might be, whether it's a park um, or anything. So, so Joe, yes. tell me a little bit of for a full circle. You know, I've always been curious as an executive in the company, and then you decide to go back uh, on a business or a pleasure trip to Walt Disney World. What's that like as an executive coming back? Uh, what's that experience like? Because you're now on the inside looking out, right? Well, I lost my 35% discount. <laughs> I have to buy tickets. Uh, those, well, that's those... what it's like today. I was saying, what's it like? <laughs> At least you know a good travel agent, Joe. Well, <laughs> funny, funny enough, funny enough, Ryan. Uh, we had our fortieth reunion in uh, September twenty-two, and I did look to Carl. Um, he he helped out immensely, to be quite honest. Because during COVID, of course, as you know, everything changed. So when when I was talking to Eddie about, you know, help me out with this uh, reunion, there was so much to change just in COVID, like, you know, as far as reservations to go to the park and Lightning Lane and the Genie Plus and all this stuff, which I was like, he was speaking a different language to me because, you know, none of that, even my last trip. So he was hugely helpful in that. And um, also I'm a big fan of uh, being, like I stayed at the yacht for leading. I actually went up before the reunion during the hurricane actually, um, which was, which was a great experience because if you're going to go through a hurricane, go to Disney. It is like the absolute best. They, you know, um, they just know how to make it a great experience still. Like they're, they've got characters and dance parties going on in the lobby. They've got, you know, it's it's just, you know, there's a hurricane going on and it's not supposed to be fun, but it really is. <laughs> so, um, but no, Carl booked all that for me. And, and also, um, uh, you know, as far as restaurants are concerned, like, you know, I know restaurants from before, but Carl introduced me to a few restaurants that I really wouldn't have experienced. Like one of the, the one in the Swan, the, the Italian one. Il Manino. Yeah, like I, I had no idea that existed. I'm not a, this is probably going to sound bad, but I'm not a fan of the Swan of the Dolphin as a hotel. I like their location. I don't like the architecture. In fact, that was actually a Michael Eisner deal that he did, which is, I'm not a fan of, but um, I tend to stay at the, the true Disney properties. And I would never have even looked there for a restaurant. And I can tell you, I had an absolutely fantastic experience there. The meal was fantastic. The waiter was fantastic. It was a true Disney experience and I would never have looked there before. So uh, there was a couple other things that Carl uh, tuned me into that I would not have known. Most of it, which involved drinking, if you could surprise, surprise. That's no surprise I, at all. I will tell you, funny enough, we had a, we had a, reservation for um in in uh, star wars land for um what's the big ride there right now rise of resistance rise of resistance yeah so we had a reservation there and i was with michelle and we ended up at um, olga's cantina because carl recommended it and we got we were at a table with some like-minded folk so we ended up 
staying there a long time and then going off to dinner at the Brown Derby. And we're sitting at the Brown Derby and I'm like, I think we missed something. And we realized we'd missed. <laughs> so uh, you asked about past experience. So I, I said to myself, you know what? Like, I'm going to test something here. Disney always wants to make things right. They always want to make sure you have a great experience. So I said to Michelle, let's beetle over there and see what happens. We missed it by a long shot, but we went up and they let us on the ride and we got to see it, which, you know, changes your day, you know, 180 degrees. It makes it very, and then we went back to Brown Derby and had, had a great dinner and some drinks. But, you know, um, actually one of the things, Carla, that probably you don't even know this, but I took my daughter to Disney after I was no longer there. And um, uh, we were at, uh, where were we? Oh, we're at the water park and she wanted to play major golf afterwards. And we played major golf and everything had been shut down and we were waiting for the bus. We we're waiting for the bus and no bus is coming and nothing's coming. So I used a little phone and they say, oh, well, the bus stops running. It's, you know, when the water park closes. So I had a reservation at, uh, in downtown or Disney Springs, it's called now. And anyway, um, we had no way to get there. So Disney sent a bus to pick us up. We had to take a transfer. We get back to the hotel room. I'm not in a great mood. Like, you know, I know we've missed our reservation and there's a blinking light on the phone and they pick it up and they, it's a message. And it says, we understand that you um, had a bad experience at the water park. We, it actually brought something to our attention that the buses should run longer because the, the miniature golf is open. We've done some, um, looking, we realized you have a reservation in downtown Disney at this restaurant, and we know you're not going to be able to make it. But what we've told them is to hold your reservation, so whenever you get there, you can you can go there. They comped the meal, and they left fast passes at the Magic Kingdom, which we they knew I was going to the next day, and we got on everything free. And I was like, it turned very what was a bad experience with my daughter, who was very young at the time, and, and it just turned everything around. So. The interesting thing in that story is that when I was there in an executive, I had I was afforded a lot of benefits that you don't get when you leave, right? And then when you go as a guest, you are still afforded those special moments because Disney goes out of their way. If they know they can make it right, they will make it right. And I find that incredibly wonderful in today's world. Like that to me is just something that doesn't happen in a lot of places. Um, so, you know, Carl, like, you guys do a great job in helping your your uh, travel partners, like the, the people that you book, your, your clients, your guests, whatever you want to call them. But you guys have the benefit of helping them find those special things and making sure they take advantage of them because there's so many that they can that it's not it's too hard for the average person to find out. Like I would never have found half the stuff that you told me when I went down in 2022. Yeah, Dudes, this Disney is forming even past cast members how to do it yeah uh you know it's amazing you say that because I, you know i'm i'm a i'm a salesperson at magic vacations but also in my day job and i talk a lot to the to the agents about value props right and, and the things mm -hmm. that uh we can bring to, to clients that you know they can't do on their own and what why they should go through us but then disney has it too right and you mm -hmm. know i i talked to somebody recently about uh a disney cruise and yep. they're like, but it's twice as expensive as Royal Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And I said, yep, but you're going to go on a Disney cruise and you could go three years later and you would you could have the same wait staff and they'll remember what you had three years ago. You know, like, and it's the stories like you just told and stories like that, that have followed the Disney company now for, uh, especially the theme parks for, for you know, over 60 years. Um, yeah. That they continue to do it. They continue to do it. The whole world has changed, but that service aspect from Disney has not. That has been there th through thick and thin. And you guys had a show about going as an adult. Like, I've gone on the Disney cruise as an adult without a child, and it's a phenomenal experience still. Like, I mean, you 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 know, people uh, will go into the parks as well, but you can go to Walt Disney World, as you guys know, spend a week there as an adult and do only adult things and, you know, you'll come away having one of the best experiences and you won't even think that it was a Disney experience, except for the fact that you got such phenomenal service and, 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 and a new, and unique experience in my opinion. Yeah. So that, that's what it's like as a, as a 
former executive Carl's, I look for things that I find wrong, and I'm really pleased when I don't find them wrong. Excellent. That's excellent. Dudes, any final questions for Joe uh, before we wrap things up this week? Yeah, uh, Joe, I was just curious. Um, obviously, you being an executive at Disney, starting in the college program and all that, what kind of benefits would you say that it's given you with your career, your life, kind of everything that you've done, kind of starting in a sense at the bottom and working your way up? Like, would you recommend that to somebody if they want to stay, like, do something like that? Is it is it well worth doing that? Or is it something mm -hmm. that you might want to look at a different way and kind of move it a different way if someone is trying to think think that way in a Disney program? You know, John, um, I, I didn't actually catch on a Carl said that our program didn't ex doesn't exist anymore. And it doesn't because it was a very unique program at the time. There is a cultural rep program where you can work still for a year, as I mentioned before, in the pavilions. There's still the Magic Kingdom College program. But I will say, when I got to Disney, there was a number of things that, uh, you know, didn't seem, it felt weird, like the Disney haircut at that time. You could not use an onstage washroom because it affected the show. Um, you were given the, uh, I, when I was working in the restaurant, as an example, um, somebody came through, they were having a less than joyous day. They were really upset about stuff. And here I am, just a regular cast member, and I basically comped their meal. There were some people there that said, like, you can't do that. I said, well, I that. Anyway, the supervisor came by and said, that's exactly what you need to do. We turned a bad experience into a good experience. And so to answer your question, throughout my career, I value highly customer service. I value the value added more than I do anything. And I also value add, or I also value relationships. So I learned that even though I can't speak Japanese or the person that is my roommate can't speak English, you need to find a way to communicate, come to a common ground. And as a salesperson, I've always been, throughout my whole career, it was very important to me to have a win-win situation. I know a lot of people say that. A lot of people want to come out with, I win better than you win. Um, I don't look at it that way. I've actually gone back to people and say, you know what, you didn't get as good deal here. We need to come to a better understanding and i think that that disney taught me that i think that disney um not just not just the company the way it is but my experience with having to go through a year of a learning experience on a new program the opening of a park that you know there were some challenges but i learned you got to be number one in your life flexible they taught us that you had to be flexible and i felt that was a big part of what was helped me be successful later in life and to answer your question, I would highly recommend if anybody had an opportunity to go on the Magic Kingdom Pilots program or the Culture Rock program because you will make lifelong friends. You'll be exposed to different things. And I, it's a lot of fun on top of that. Like you do it when you're young. Um, I, I can honestly tell you that that year, uh, I don't want to live in the past, but I can tell you that it really affected my future. It really did. It, it was a, just an experience that, I don't think he can pay to get. And unfortunately, I've had Carl the whole life, my whole life, because. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, so there's downsides, but you know. <laughs> now, have you guys ever seen this? Stop! 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 Oh, are you crazy? About... <laughs> oh God! Stop it! We have, we have heard about Carl's magician uh, episode. Oh my! You need to experience Carl's magician. I don't I don't know. That kind of frightens me. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of things that I could tell you that would frighten you, but that one is more entertaining than you would imagine. I you know, it was a short stint in the magic shop at. Uh... Oh no! It wasn't even just the magic shop. Don't you remember when I showed up? What was the name of that theme park? Riverside. Oh, stop. All right, okay, stop. okay, cut, cut. <laughs> I had forgotten all about that. Yeah. That's funny, Joe, that you still have that card. Oh, I think I, I, I think I had I had those made when I think when I was 13. So yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I couldn't find the newspaper clipping I had of you with the magician of the Do you remember that? No, I don't. You got a great memory. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean I'm, I'm sure they're in a I won't remember this tomorrow, by the way, but uh, <laughs> I do remember that. So, um, 
Anyways. Yeah. Ron, any any other last questions, Ryan? Any other last questions? Are we good or? No, I, I just, Joe, I really appreciate you coming on. It's always fun to, uh, you know, I, I've chatted with you once before and I was, I was slightly inebriated at that point. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I do remember it better than I think Carl does, uh, but, but, but it's nice to see you again. And, and we appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your stories from, from the Dis Disney uh, company. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun to hear Carl's stories too. Don't get me wrong, but but it's always nice to get that uh, uh, perspective from somebody who's been there, lived it, done it, and did it for a large portion of their career. So uh, I just just thank you for coming on and sharing. Thank with you us. very much. Yes, Joe Bob, we appreciate you joining the dudes here. Uh, yeah. And until next time, later, dudes. Later, dudes. Later, dudes. Later, dudes. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. Please check us out on social media, on Facebook at Dudes Dish Disney, on Instagram at Dudes Dish Disney, on Twitter at Disney underscore dish. Please visit our sponsor, Magic Vacations at magicvacations.net. More than just a travel agency, Magic Vacations has over 60 Magic Vacation planners committed to bringing you white glove concierge service. Using a Magic Vacation Planner allows you to spend more time making memories and less time worrying about the details. For all of your Disney, Universal, Cruise, and Global travel, go to magicvacations.net. Magic Vacations, discover the magic of travel.